0: Here's what's big in my heart tonight. Jesus explained the gospel of the kingdom and he explained it so beautifully and so masterfully and then we often come to his sayings with a lens of legalism, with a lens of law, with a lens of trying to measure up and be perfect and we see his his expression of the kingdom, like what the kingdom heart can look like, what the lifestyle can look like if you'll let the Father's love come in and fill and overflow and overwhelm you. Are you, you with me? Like his kingdom teachings are about grace. They're about the, they're about gospel. They're about their illustrations of what the heart full of the love of the father will do out of the nature of who we have become in him. But what happens oftentimes is we read Jesus's sayings as though It's Old Covenant. And we read it almost through an Old Covenant lens. And so we read his sayings and we go, oh, I need to do that better. Oh, I should do that. I don't do that. Oh, I'm trying to do that. And I'm not that way. And I don't know anybody who does that very easily or naturally. And we actually use what he's trying to give us as like, like like 1 Corinthians 13, for example. Love is. Love is. It does not. It does not. Like all those things that love does, and we even take that, and we read it like it's a list of rules. Like it's something that we're, oh, I should be more that way, I should be more that way, instead of realizing what Paul's actually saying. Love is this way. And if we'll be filled with love, this will become the organic expression of who we are. So like Jesus, in his teachings, is talking not, he's not saying, hey, Get, get busy trying to be this kind of a person because he already knows we're not that kind of a person apart from him. It's impossible for flesh and blood to inherit the kingdom of God. There's not one of us that's going to be counted righteous by works of the law or in ourselves. But the kingdom expression of Jesus is, sa- is not saying, get busy trying to do all my stuff that I'm telling you. He's giving illustrations of what the heart filled with the love of the Father we'll live like, we'll look like. It's almost like he's saying, this is what's going to be. This is what it's going to look like when you let me fashion and form and shape you. Like the song we sing in here, uh, you're an artist and a potter. I'm the canvas and the clay. And you're not finished with me yet. Philippians 1.6, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. There's something he's building in us. There's something he's forming in us. And the process... It's a real process, but the goal of, of the kingdom sayings of Jesus is not to discourage us with this perfect standard that only he can keep, and it's just there to keep us going, well, I guess I suck. No, 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 no. No, it's, it's how life works best, and it's, what, it's the image we're being shaped into by grace. So, okay, Matthew 5, 6, and 7 are the sort of the Sermon on the Mount, right, as, as we call them, and, and they're not meant to be taken as rules to follow, They're they're illustrations of the kingdom heart. In Matthew 5.20, if you could just flip there real quick. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Interesting, right? No one was more serious about the Bible than the scribes and the Pharisees. You could hear that and go, oh my word. Some of these these guys had the Pentateuch memorized. They had the law like in the little, they had the little mini box of of scriptures on their forehead called a phylactery. Y'all heard of that word? And they would write scriptures on their door frames of their house. And these guys were experts in the Bible. And Jesus says, okay, but here's the problem. There's, There's something in the way they're approaching God they're all about being right, but they're not about having the substance. I see it online a lot. People who have a list of false teachers and heretics and people that are out, and we got to watch out for them, and we got to warn people of them. Billy Graham's on the list, and all these other faithful people are on their lists. Oh my goodness! Oh, we got to be watching out because they're so full of it. I, I just I googled why do people hate John Piper so much? Quora. Gives me all these answers. Who? Pe- John Piper. I mean, who gives you all- Quora. The same website you just ask questions, random questions, and anybody can weigh in, and then you get to vote and upvote and downvote answers, and then the most popular answer gets upvoted to the top of the thing. So I'm like, why do people hate John Piper so much? Because I've noticed a lot of hate for him online lately. And basically what it boils down to is people have poopy hearts. <laughs> yeah, but that's not the answer Quora gave. Cora gave the answer of, oh, you've got to watch out for him because he preaches with so much emotion. Emotion. And, he, and he just he's wrong about this one little topic over here, and we've got to be careful. I think he's a wolf in, in sheep's clothing. He's clearly going to hell and deceived, and he's going to take other people with him. And I'm like, dude, you know what? It's funny. I see Christ in him, and your answer reveals Satan in your heart, dude. I feel Satan just coming right off the page. Accusation, 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 accusation. Did you know love covers a multitude of sins? That if I'm in fellowship with you and I find out you're in sin, the first thing I'm gonna do is not go behind your back and talk about you. If I love you, I'm gonna go to you and we're gonna have a conversation about it. I'm not even gonna assume that what I heard is true. And I'm not even gonna assume that what I saw with my own eyes is a true accounting of your motive. I'm gonna give your motive the benefit of the doubt. I'm gonna go straight to you and I'm gonna ask you what's going on because I don't know your heart. And it's possible for you to, do the, ro- to the, do the wrong thing with the right motive. And I'm going to assume that you're, you had good intentions, and then we're going to have a conversation, and my goal is not going to be to leave the meeting and go talk bad about you to other people. Love covers a multitude of sins. You know what hate does? It exposes a multitude of sins, and it puts websites up online, and it says, we've got to warn people about this person, this sinner, this person. They can never be in ministry again, even if they repent. Now, who knows that if there's no repentance and there's genuine damage being done, that's a different story. But I'm talking about: is my heart to restore someone in a spirit of gentleness? Do I believe in the power of the gospel? Do I believe in in the value of, of their calling before God? Do I see them through the lens that Christ died for all, therefore all died, and I refuse to view anyone from a merely human point of view anymore? Oh man, that stuff gets me so gets me so scared when I see just, just people easily, easily out of the depth of who they are, damn and warn and, and, and call something that is pure, wicked, and advertise against it, when a real Christian will take a, a sinning Christian and take him away in private and try to restore him before exposing him to public shame over his sin or her sin. And the only way it's ever going to get out is if the layers of the, of the careful process happen. It should be that you and I get to repent without doing a whole bunch of damage to the whole world. Right. Th- that's how it's supposed to be. We're supposed to have each other's back even when I'm screwing up. Yeah, I, I didn't even used to think Christians, like a worship leader who had an affair or whatever, I, I used to think when I was a brand new Christian, they were just done for life. That's how I didn't understand mercy yet. I didn't understand restoration yet. I didn't understand grace yet. I didn't understand that you are not permanently defined by your past. And if Jesus has wiped it away, I can actually see that you are no longer the person who did that. The righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees is, is that. It's about being right. It's about having a standard. It's about, it's about the right way to do it. We're going to take this book. We're going to view it through a lens uh, this is here to tell us the right thing. And then we're going to use our knowledge of what's right. And we're going to make sure that we pretend to live up to it. Because no, I can actually love everybody. But what we can do is be nice and pretend to be nice. But when you, but when you actually push me, the offense that comes out of me, I'm the most devoted person to the things of God. But when Jesus comes on the scene, I hate him. I'm willing to pay someone to lie and betray him because I don't have anything inside of me called love. All I have is a list of rules that I, that I, I know God said all this stuff and it's my job to be seen by you as the good guy in the story. Are you, am I making sense? Mm-hmm. If you can't actually love uh, like people, you don't have it in you. And so what Jesus, I think, is trying to say is the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees is skin deep. Their joy is paper thin. Their hope is non-existent. They're only doing as well as their reputation. In fact, almost everything they do is for reputation. The thing that they're really feeding on is the people saying, he's so spiritual. Did you hear that sermon? Oh man, what a prayer. Did you see his big offering? Isn't that crazy? That like our service to God can become the thing that replaces God. So, so here's what I hear Jesus saying. Now you feel free to disagree with me. Unless our righteousness is coming on the inside, unless we're changed in our inward nature, we can't even see the kingdom. That's right. That's right. Because the Pharisees have all the rules and they have doctrine. In fact, it's possible to be in a grace church. And have the doctrine of grace and have Christ on your lips and sing the songs and teach in Sunday school and serve as an elder and be buried in that backyard and miss heaven. Because it's all about do you deal with Jesus as a person? A person? He's a person. There was an article where the guy said, Well, the only two definitions in the Bible given of God is God is love and God is a spirit. So God's clearly not a person. And I'm like, What? It takes a person to love. It takes a person to love. What in the world? And what do you think a spirit is, if not a person? Aren't angels people? Of course God's a person. That's just, but anyway, people, you're you're not dealing with a doctrine. You're not dealing with ideas. You're not dealing with the structures around faith. These are all wonderful structures. Buildings, services, Bibles, preaching, sermons, songs, all the stuff we do. Wonderful structures. But they're just here to serve your contact with the person. And if you reach out, if you reach out, take, shoot, we, we have, you know, on the third Sunday, we have communion. But let's say you're just at home and you have a piece of bread and you have a cup of juice. And you reach out by faith in your heart and you make contact with the person, grace happens, relationship happens. So what I hear Jesus saying, this is what I hear him saying. Unless we're being made into something, what are we being made into? We're being transformed into the very nature of God. Which is just, unless, unless it's actually occurring here, it's not even kingdom. Pharisee righteousness is external rule keeping, external rule enforcing. And then if that's what's going on, then instead of me calling you into the love of the Father and calling you into who Christ sees you as and calling you into the truth that God says is true because of what Jesus did, right? That's a gospel-centered uh, process where I'm, I'm filling I'm speaking life into you so that I'm giving you what God says is true about you that is if you if you really believe it it becomes your reality and you you begin to relate to God as love you begin to relate to God as your father you begin to relate to him as in the position of I am his daughter I am his son I'm the one he loves My past is wiped away and my future is bright. He's with me always. I'm endowed with His Spirit. He's never leaving me. I'm not under law but under grace. So I'm not even being measured daily. I'm being accepted and loved on daily and He's sharpening me and I'm walking with Him and He's teaching me. He's breathing on me. I don't have to get prayed up. I'm in. He hears my prayers. The weak ones, the small ones, when I don't feel it, it doesn't change whether it's true and I'm not going to live by what I feel. I'm going to live by what He says. He says. What I feel is true is not necessarily true. What God says is true is what's true. But in a pharisee righteousness church, if I see you not keeping the rules, what do I have what's my tools that I have to get you back on the straight and narrow? More rules. I'll use shame. I'm disappointed in you. I'm mad at you. You're scaring me. I'll use manipulation. If you don't do this, this will be your punishment. And I'll use the Bible, which is really easy for any of us to do, parents, husbands, wives, it's very easy for any of us to do, to use God's truth as a weapon to argue someone else into obeying what I want instead of to convey God's heart and bring life. Paul says the letter does what and the Spirit does what? We're ministers of a new covenant Not of the letter, but of the spirit, because the letter kills, but the spirit. And I'm telling you right now, I know that Tim, using Bible and logic to look at someone's lifestyle and then going, this is what I need to do and this is what I need to say, has often gotten me in a place where I felt obligated to interact with someone in a way that I thought was biblical but didn't properly convey God's heart. And it's part of the reason I'm so grateful for mature Christians in my life that I can say, here's what I'm seeing and here's what I'm praying about and here's what I feel like I'm supposed to do. Can you guys pray about it and give me advice? Because the advice that the older Christians have usually given me has helped to infuse what I'm trying to do to help someone out of sin to come in the right heart. Because I know Tim in the past has often been logic plus Bible equals death. But I wasn't trying to bring death. I was trying to help. But as I, like there was an example where some guys, guy friends of mine were caught in a sin and it sounded to me like they were justifying it instead of of trying to get out of it. It sounded like they were giving themselves permission to stay in it. And it sounded like they were being insensitive to the people being hurt by it. And it made me so mad. But wisely, I knew not to just talk. I knew to take a couple days, and I think I took three, four days, and I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed, until I got God's heart. And once I got God's heart, I was, not, I was no longer mad at them. I was crying for them. And I could see God's intention for them, and I could see the bigger picture of grace for them. And I wrote them this, like, thing, and I wrote it with tears. And when I sent it to them, they, they, it... They're like, I will love you forever for what you've just done. That is so encouraging. Now, my first reaction would have been the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. This is what the book says. This is what you're going to do. You're going to act right. You're going to get slapped right. Do you know what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. There's, There's a way that seems right to a man, but it actually brings death. And I'm not pretending that I'm there at all, but man, I'm telling you, there's a way, there's a way that the lens we use when we approach a thing is the main thing that causes us to, uh, it filters our experience. William James says, what I give my attention to in an experience will actually determine what I experience. Let me give you an example. If I'm framed to be always looking for this, this thing was planted in me in my earlier years, I was, I was hurt and rejected. Now I have this, this search image. Do you know what a search image is? The Where's Waldo books? Yeah. Or if you're looking for your keys in the house, that's a search image. Your brain knows what your keys look like. And that search image, you are scanning the room for that. And it's an amazing thing. You give a dog, here, smell this. This is what you're looking for. And then you set that dog, it's a search image. Well, that's a search image. Smell. And so many of us, so many of us, this is real, guys. We have an experience, we get hurt, and then we get a search image rejection. People are going to reject me. Now I'm looking through all my experiences from then on for who's going to reject me, who is rejecting me, who might reject me. And my experience of life is one of repeated confirmations that I'm worthy of rejection and people will reject me and I can't trust. Internalizing this deep lie deeper and deeper through the same life that a different person would go through and learn over and over, life's a miracle. I am so grateful to be alive. Same life, same friends, same, same, up, same upbringing, same location, same city, same house, same body, but one person says, I'm good looking and I enjoy my life. And the other person goes, I'm so fat and ugly, no one's ever going to love me. Because of the beliefs we bring to our experience that determine what we experience. And Jesus says, If you'll see, actually he doesn't say if you'll see, if you'll remain in my sayings, if if you'll just hang out with me, keep listening to what I'm saying, stay with me, listen to what I'm saying, you'll be really my learners. And at some point, what I'm telling you is true will not just be something you're trying to believe, you'll know it. It will become your reality. And in that moment, you will be free. Mm -hmm. There's all kinds of stuff in my life that I'm like, I'm camping in it and I want to believe. Help me, Lord. Grow me in this thing. But the things that I know, I actually believe. Those things that I know, they have shaped who I am. Uh, Is is the distinction I'm making, is that okay? If I draw a distinction between what I'm sort of trying to believe and what I actually believe, what I know, this is real. This is my world. He loves me. He's with me. He's for me. I'm loved. I'm never never falling out of this love. It's just not going to happen. People go, Tim, do you believe a Christian can fall away? And I'm like, I don't know why you would want to. And I'm definitely not going to. Like, I wasn't smart enough to find Jesus. He came after me and grabbed hold of me. I'm pretty sure if I was going to fall away, I would have done it by now. Now, are you saying I can't sin? Oh, you could. You could totally sin. You could screw up your whole heart and life. But even if you do that, is He giving up on you? Nope, He still loves you. He still I mean, how far is He in your lowest, in your, like as far as you ever get from God, how far is He? And what's crazy is a Pharisee mindset will tell people, a Pharisee mindset will tell people they gotta get their act cleaned up and they gotta get their self figured out and fixed. And then and then it'll be safe for the church to love them again. And Jesus is like, here's how I'm gonna get the sin off this guy. I'm gonna love the hell out of him at your lowest moment, while you were yet sinners. Now, we hear that, oh, everyone's a sinner. No that's, no, that's not true. Not everyone is a sinner in the biblical sense of the word. There's sinners, and then there's saints. No fear of God before their eyes. Don't give a crap who we're hurting. I do what I want, when I want, and I'm, in, and I'm right. If you tick me off, I'll slap you. I'm a sinner and a saint. I was all that. And he saved me, and that's not ruling me anymore. I'm in Christ, and I'm being ruled. I'm being led by the Spirit. And because I'm being led by the Spirit, I'm no longer dominated by the power of the flesh, and I'm not in sin anymore. I've been cleansed by the blood of Jesus, and he's cleansed me of all unrighteousness. And how much, what's left over if he cleanses you from all unrighteousness? If all the unrighteousness is gone, what's left? Just righteousness. But you talk like that, and Christians go, You think you're better than me. No, I think Jesus is such a great Savior. We can be clean. Yeah, but it says right there in that passage that that whoever claims to be without sin is deceived. Whoever claims to have never sinned would be deceived. Whoever claims to have... I have no need of that. Okay. So here's how this works. We proclaim Christ. We call people into this love. And as we learn to receive this love and upgrade our thinking, it upgrades our, our... Our whole inner world, every single person in this room has a different worldview. No two of us have the same worldview. We're each of us unique. What would be amazing is to see what a full picture of Jesus would be if every single believer was walking in the fullness, looking at the same Jesus and helping paint a bigger, more accurate picture. If we together are the body of Christ, wouldn't it be amazing to see what he looks like? And the clearest place we're ever going to see what He looks like is when each of us, like 2 Corinthians says, is beholding the glory of the Lord as in a mirror. And as we behold, we become. That is quite a bit different, isn't it? As we behold Him, we become. Not as we behold His laws, His rules, His heart. As we walk with Him. Law has its purpose. Biblical commands have their purpose. But it's crazy to me. Paul says, oh yeah, the law is not for the righteous. It's for those who hate their parents. It's for murderers. It's for sinners. It's for those who have no fear of God. That's who the law is for. For the church, we need the love of the Father and the guidance of the Holy Ghost because we've been made brand new. And it's not even our intention to wake up in the morning and sin. We don't want to. It's the last thing we want to do. When we realize we've sinned, we go, ah, crap, get this away from me. And you go, yeah, but what if we don't? And I go, then I guess we still need an upgrade in how deep we're allowing this love to get in because probably if it's not, if sin's eating my lunch instead of God's love, then probably there's some part of my heart that I'm not letting his love touch and I'm, and I'm still so thirsty and hungry for love, but I'm trying to fulfill it in this other thing that I think, remember what we said last time, what gives sin its power? It's a preaching of a false gospel, a future pleasure, do this and you'll really live. And that if we view God as the enemy of our pleasure, it's going to cut, it's going to cut the root of our ability to be holy. Because if we don't view God as, as the one that the, where the pleasure really is found, we will view sin as the pleasure. Because heart hates, heart hates a vacuum. The heart will not tolerate a vacuum. We are desperately thirsty, every one of us. Some of us more than others in terms of the obvious expression of it. But everyone is desperately thirsty for love and significance. So I don't think Jesus intends for us to view his sayings as rules. I think he's saying if we'll become the kind of people who have union with the Father's love, then that is who we will authentically be. We're not supposed to be the kind of people who when we're sinned against, we have to work really hard to pretend to like people. He's not making us into the kind of people that when our house burns down, then we go, now I have to try really hard to trust God. No, 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 he's leading us in a path where we're so invested in the kingdom of the heavens, which is present right here. It's invisible, but present right here. We're so invested in him and in his kingdom. We're not trusting in our wealth. We're investing in his kingdom in such a way that our heart now is so invested in that realm that if our house burns down, we're like, oh, that's really too bad. But nothing of my real self was wounded. I'm not at the place where if you're mean to me, I don't get hurt. But I believe there's a place where I so know who I am and who you are that you can't break me. Am I saying I'm there, guys? I'm saying Jesus was there. And I'm saying, he's like looking at me and saying, if you'll come deeper with the Father's love, you'll be that man. Not you'll act that way. That would be Pharisee righteousness. You'll be that man. Okay, so let's talk about lust real quick because Jesus brings it up. Does Jesus say it's wrong for you to look upon someone and go, they are attractive? But that's what people seem to think he's saying. Oh, I lusted because I found her attractive. No, that's not what he says. He says, if I look upon them in order to lust. Oh, why? Why? We shouldn't do that. No, no, no. It's not about shouldn't do that. It's about if you see this person, the way God sees them, which you will when, when, the, when the love of the Father has transformed your inner thought process and belief system, when you see them like they're your own kid, when you see them with the love of the Father, you'll, you'll just switch some stuff. Job in the Old Testament, he says, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look, it upon, a, not to look upon a woman to lust upon her. Or hatred, for me, uh, anger, has been like a major problem over the years, and it is way better now than it's been before. And it's not because I'm getting better at managing my rage. I have less rage to manage. Right. I know what you mean. Oh, <laughs> more, Jesus, more. I've noticed that when I'm not okay, then I'm mean. Yeah. It's when I'm not okay, when I'm stressed out and worried, and I'm upset, and I'm unsurrendered, and I'm unfulfilled, and I'm not drinking deep, and I'm not at peace. That's when I behave that way. A Pharisee will be ticked at the thing that triggered him. But Jesus wants us going, oh, good, I'm triggered. Oh, good, you offended me. Oh, good, you ticked me off. You're helping me. This is why the Christians in the Bible, who wrote, the Christians who wrote this book, have you ever noticed how much positive things they have to say about trials? That's Why? The trial exposes things so that I can get more deeply rooted in who he is. Because it's not about a list of rules that you can keep as long as the road's not bumpy. It's about a contact with God that goes so deep that when the crap hits the fan... You know how to access who he is and it's about who he is for me. It's not about me changing myself to be like he tells me to be. It's about a fresh revelation on more aspects of who he is in my weakness. That's what he told me years ago anyway. I was like, I'm so insecure, God, that I can't even even handle going to this lunch meeting with a friend because I feel like they're just going to criticize me. And I can't handle any more criticism. I've had enough. I have PTSD. I'm terrified of this lunch meeting. And God didn't say, you shouldn't be afraid. He gave me Psalm 91, verses one and two. Instead of telling me what was wrong with me, he told me who he is for me. He's still the hero in this thing. And it's like, oh my word, I had this vision of like a hamster ball. You know what a hamster, like the, the clear plastic hamster ball? except made of lasers like, like Star Wars, the Clone Wars, where those like crazy robots, and they have this like laser ball of shield around them. And it, everywhere they move, it moves. He who abides in the shadow of the Almighty, will, or who, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide, will remain, will stay at all times in the shadow of the Almighty. And then the whole rest of the psalm is just like crazy protection. Arrows are flying, bombs are going off, cars are exploding, AK-47s are going off. And I'm calmly walking through my day because he's with me and he's for me. And like, or as Jesus says it, they will kill you because of me, but not a hair of your head will be harmed. And I always like to say, our head will roll down the street as it's chopped off, but our hair is going to look fantastic. <laughs> And what's he mean? What's he mean? He means the real you. Again, we are people, he is a person. The real you is spirit, not body. The real you will be so rooted in me that no matter what happens to you, you you're inheriting a kingdom that what? Can, come on, say it, cannot be shaken. And we're so funny because I think we're just tempted to think like Pharisees, just tempted, really tempted. That we, when, we, when we hear somebody talk like this, what's our first thing? Yeah, but are you really living this out? Come down and live among the, with the rest of us in the real world. And I'm like, Stan and I were talking about this the other day. The last thing we need is to lower what we have in our mouth to what we're living out. That's the last thing we need. What we need to do is take what he put in his mouth and put it in our mouth until we've convinced ourselves that what he said is true. And that sounds and feels hypocritical to some people, right? It sounds hypocritical when you're in the middle of like trying to break a bad habit, an addiction, cussing, smoking, whatever it is, and you're trying to break it and you're like, it it sounds so hypocritical, it feels so hypocritical to say, I'm free, I'm delivered, I am completely a brand new man, I'm not addicted to cigarettes, I don't cuss. By the way, that's what I had to do, and I still have slipped up and had to readjust and because and he gave me a strategy. But that was the main strategy he gave me was, don't say I'm trying to quit. Say, I don't do that anymore. I'm free. I'm the beloved. His power is in me. The grace is on me. He's already finished it on the cross. It's not up to me to finish. It's up to me to believe and receive and walk in. It's same with my forgiveness, isn't it? I am forgiven. The cross has paid it all. But what if I don't believe it? Do I have a right to live ashamed? Do I have a, li- a right to let my past eat my lunch and steal my identity and steal my hope and my future and ruin my relationships and make it impossible for me to actually love well because I don't even know how to receive love because there's too much of my crap blocking God's love? I'm not worthy of your love. How could you ever love a worm like me? Look, at, look what I did. I have a right to do that if I want. Oh, I shouldn't even say that. You don't have a right in Christ to do that. But I'm saying, it's already paid. It's not heaven doing that to me. It's, it's I am arrogantly refusing to acknowledge that he's already made up his mind and now I disagree with his mind. It's like years ago when I said, I'm walking along, I'm having a normal day, and the Lord says, you know the story you're telling on earth about your life is not the story we're telling in heaven, Tim, about your life. And I was like, oh! <gasps> well, I'd like to know the differences in detail. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And he started to unpack the differences. Man, I'm telling you, I didn't realize how much poor me thinking is going on in my heart. I'm telling a story about how things keep going wrong for me, and he's telling a story of my perseverance. He's telling a story about I always get back up. He's telling a story about Jesus is still the main thing. He's telling a story about I'm still at bat. Not how many strikeouts I had. I'm at bat. I got the uniform on. Like I got bloody elbows from trying to steal second and I got out. But he's so proud that I tried to steal second again after getting out so many times. He's telling a way different story. Heaven's cheering us on. Sometimes at the moment... All right, I got to get back to... Okay, I'll finish that thought. Sometimes, sometimes, Sometimes at the moment we're about to get a major breakthrough... We're ready to give up, and like we're, it's like we're digging through a mountain to pick a mountain tunnel so that there's access for the entire you know western part of the country, so we can get a train going through here and, and take people and food and freight and everything. And it's like we've been digging in this thing for three months, and we quit like a foot before we break out into the light. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And we think it's not working. It's not working as though as though faith is a method to get something done and maybe we should try something else next if it doesn't work i hate the bumper sticker that says try jesus if you don't like it the devil will take you back that drives me cra- try jesus don't try jesus i hate that that's like a real okay i'm glad you haven't seen it that drives me nuts try jesus that's what that says what that says is i desperately need to feel better and if this works i'll do this that's not relationship with God. Relationship with God says, I am doing this. They can kill me, but I'm doing this. I can, I can have, I can, my eyes might, might never be healed, but I'm going to keep loving God and it's not going to change my sonship. It's not going to change my eye. My kid might be sick in the hospital, might die of a brain tumor, but I refuse to let, I refuse to let that change anything about whether I know God's God, a God of love and He could have been healed, and that God's not the author of that kind of crap. I refuse to let what my eye sees. I'm not going to retreat to trying stuff to get my way done on earth. That's not faith. All right, Matthew seven fifteen through 20. Jesus says, make the tree good and the fruit will be good. That's what he's talking about. If you'll just let me love you, I'll change you from the inside out. All the law is just descriptions of what love would do or wouldn't do. And the reason we're free from the law, not under law, is because we've come back into face-to-face relationship with love. God is love. We're not in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We're back united with God. There's no, there's no distance. There's no separation. We have access every single day. I wake up, I'm a son. I'm loved. I wake up, it's as though I've never sinned every day. I'm not earning and I'm not. I'm just stepping into a reality that was fashioned for me by the finished work of Jesus. I'm in Eden. Sometimes I really feel like I'm in Eden. Okay, yeah, talk yourself into God's truth. This guy, Gary Vaynerchuk, he like owns all these businesses and he's just like this super entrepreneurial guy and he's like, hustle, 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 hustle. Everything's hustle with him. He's hilarious. He uses lots of cuss words. So if you look him up, I didn't endorse that part of it, but I love Gary. And before he ever started to physically work out, because now he's like in a fitness and he's like, he's, he's a motivational guy. If you want someone to, even if you're just a Christian who wants encouragement, Gary Vee is so, the way God made him is, he is he'll, he'll be like, well, what's your dreams? What's your passions? What are you doing to make that happen? You've got the next 50 years. There's no reason that you can't do that. That's how he will speak to you. He is 100% that guy. He started talking about getting in shape and taking good care of his body so that he could leave a, leave a legacy and live to be in, into his 80s and 90s. He said, I still have plenty of good years left on planet Earth to make my impact. His plan is to buy the, the New York Jets. Sorry for his loss. Um, yeah, ever since yeah. he was a little kid, he wanted to buy the New York Jets. I would not be surprised if he did it. But, but he says, guys, I plan to make a big portion of my impact between the ages of like 70 and 80. But to do that, he's got to be physically healthy. So he talked about physical fitness for like two years before he was even working out and worried about his diet. And, and, and he's the one who says... If I hadn't talked about it for two years, I wouldn't be doing it now. Now he's super physically fit. But it was talking about it publicly so that it's out there to hold him accountable. That's what he says. He said, I talked about it on podcasts and on shows and in speeches, all in the public domain because I wanted I wanted to tie myself to a commitment through knowing people have heard me say this and I better deliver. And so here's this thing that I have in my heart. John Wesley said, I preach this, this gospel for my hearers to believe it, but I also preach it and I don't stop preaching it even if I don't believe it because I'm hoping that, that you and me together are going to start to believe this thing I'm proclaiming and it's going to save us. And by save, we mean the Bible word for save, not save my soul later, but like saved, healed, delivered, set free and kept safe all of me, my spirit, soul and body in this life and the next. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 21, since Jesus died, we no longer regard anyone from a worldly perspective You know what I'm talking about? You know this passage? Paul says, Jesus has died. So now I look around and I see every single person I see through the lens that Jesus has died. But it's much deeper than that. He says, We used to consider Jesus from a worldly perspective. But now that he's died and raised, we go, Whoa, this was God. Whoa, this changes everything. We see ourselves through the lens of Jesus' death. We see God through the lens of Jesus' death, and we see everyone around us through the lens of Jesus' death. And then right after that is the passage where it says, if anyone's in Christ, there's a new creation. And we have read that, I think wrongly, as meaning if that individual is in Christ, he is a new creation. That's true, but that's not what Paul's saying in context. What Paul is saying, if that person is in Christ, the whole world is now a new creation. The whole world has been remade because their inner world has been remade, and they can't see they can't see anything the way they used to see it. Their reality is now dominated by what Jesus did. All right, I feel like I, I can see that it's time for me to stop. 2 Corinthians? Corinthians 5, 16 through 21. And I'm not trying to say that the individual is not a new creation. They are. But if you read in context, it's pretty clear that we regard no one from a worldly standpoint anymore. Everything has been reformed. Because once you get in Christ, Christ becomes the eye through which you see everything. I couldn't see the truth about you until I I saw it in him. Your real life's hid with Christ and God. You can't find it by introspection. You can't find it by telling me your life story. You can't find it by searching your soul and you're finding yourself. You're not going to take a spiritual retreat and find yourself out there. You want to find the real you? The only you that you're allowed to see is your reflection in the Father's eyes. The real you is hid with Christ in God. To get to the real you, you have to find it in Him. And what is He saying about you? Righteous, loved, worth the blood of Jesus. Mine. And we make, and I'm not, I'm not trying to say that like, we make too much of the fact that we've sinned. We don't, but we make the cross primarily about escaping the consequences of sin, but the cross is primarily about reuniting us with the love of the Father, getting sin out of the picture so that the sons and daughters can come home because he never saw me as a sinner. He died to get sin off of me and so I could become the person he always saw because he never let what I became deceive him about who I am because I'm more than what I've done. I'm who he says I am. And if I get real rooted in him, I'm going to get my identity back. And then I'm going to be able to live out my destiny. The reason I was put here in the first place. And if I live it all the way to the end and I run through the tape, then I'm going to leave a legacy. And other people are going to look at me like Abraham. And like Abraham, there's going to be so many ripple effects of my little acts of faith. And just like Abraham, it'll be like I never sinned in God's estimation of things. Because Abraham believed God and God counted it as righteousness. As if you never did a thing wrong. I read the story. He didn't do everything right. But you know what? My favorite part of Abraham's story and one of my favorite things in the entire Bible, because it says it all over the place, Abraham was God's friend. That alarm is now notifying me that I'm done. On your feet. Father, at my lowest point, you were there. You love me at my lowest point, And you're redeeming every scar. You're trading mourning for joy. You're bringing beauty out of ashes. You're removing the grave clothes of my grief and my shame. And you're calling me by name out of the tomb of my past and saying, come forth. Jesus, your blood has washed me. Father, your spirit has sealed me. You have recreated my heart. I am a brand new man. I am spotless and without any faults. I am holy and blameless in your sight. I am more than a conqueror through Jesus. Resurrection power, the same power that raised you, Jesus, from death and exalted you on high, is in me. And you yourself are in me. I am not a mistake. I am the will of God on planet Earth. I am meant to be here now, right now. I'm not a failure. I'm not defined by my failures. I'm not a disappointment. I'm a new creation and I have righteousness on the inside and I will live the will of God on planet earth because I'm not in Adam, I'm in Christ. I was raised with Christ and I'm seated in heavenly places with Christ. God, you and I are one and nothing will ever separate us and you're not changing your mind about me. I'm not a slave anymore. I'm not a slave to sin anymore. I'm not a slave to fear anymore I wake up each morning justified, beloved, and anointed, and it's not my fault. I didn't do it. I didn't earn it, Jesus. You did it. You earned it. And Father, you drew me to it and put it on me. You chose me. You came after me. You loved me. You laid down your life for me. You took the crown of thorns for me. You took the lashes for me. You took the cross for me. It was for me. It was to strip away my shame. It was to destroy the curse of death and sin. And Father, you never saw me how I saw me. When I rebelled, you saw a lost son, and you called me home. And you set your love on me, and you saved me because you delighted in me. You killed the fatted calf. You put your robe on me. You put your royal signet ring on my finger, and I share in the full inheritance. And I will reign with my older brother, Jesus. And you said, son, I'm always with you and everything I have is yours. You paid the highest price to make this body, this soul, this spirit, a temple in which you dwell. I am a temple of the Holy Spirit. I am being changed from one degree of glory to the next as I gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. I finally know whose I am, who I am, and why I am, and I am never going back. Amen. Amen. Why don't you guys pray for somebody before you get out of here? Whew, that feels good. I mean, I know we don't live by feelings, but it feels good.